0: Zone Subject ACT's weekly art programme on 2XFM ninety eight point three with Real Beast. Today I'm talking to Alice Robinson, author of the novel Anchor Point and her character workshop at the Noted Festival in March. Hi Alice, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, thanks for having me. Your first novel, Anchor Point, was long listed for the 2016 Stella Prize and the Mm -hmm. 2016 Indie Book Awards for debut fiction, and it was named one of 25 best book club reads in the Herald Sun. Can you tell us a little bit about the novel?
1: Sure. It's literary fiction. It's kind of coming under this new term that some people are enjoying using called um, it's not a term that I particularly um, attached to, but it's an interesting idea that there's a lot of novels at the moment being written that kind of are talking about the same issue, which is climate change. So, cli-fi um. is climate fiction. Um, it, yeah, so that, that was kind of my interest going in. But the, the novel itself is really a story about a family. It centers around Laura, who's 10 when the novel opens, and she has a little sister, Vic, who's about 5, and her parents um, are two very different people from one another. Her mother's um, a German immigrant, an artist, uh, and her father is, you know, a real man of the land, a kind of working class, um, farming, um, 100% Aussie bloke kind mm-hmm. of character. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of fallen together into a marriage, probably a little bit ill advised, and then had children. And as many people do in that circumstance, have kind of um, just hung, hung together, but perhaps not for the right reasons. Mm. But um, as many children do in, in kind of unfortunate marriages or difficult family circumstances, Laura feels kind of responsible for her parents' happiness, and she tries to resolve some of their issues. And, and her way of doing that is to take on some of the workload of the house and the farm. Um, and her mother does lean on her in that way. But the novel, so that's how it kind of that's the context that we come into, and it opens. But the novel spans about 40 years. The last chapter or the last section ends in 2018, I think it is. Um, And so it's not that far into the future, but just far enough that um, I had a little bit of license about how I might end the story. Mm -hmm. And it really charts Laura's relationship with her home place, with the land, with the farm that she grew up on, and how that kind of relationship changes over time. Um, so whether we, she can kind of chart her own destiny or whether she, you know, her, her kind of journey is all mapped out for her.
0: Okay, so the reader kind of travels with her from when she's a little girl to when she's an adult.
1: That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and all the time she's kind of coming up against this question of whether she can leave the farm and have her own life or whether, um, and what happens to a person, when they do that, so you walk away from that responsibility and that workload, but you are also a little bit untethered in the world when you do that, um, or whether she, sh- she should stay at the farm and, and embrace that kind of identity and that workload, um, but then of course she you know has to give up other things like a kind of like her freedom or her right to decide what her life will look like. Mm. Um, the other thing I forgot to say is that very early on in the story, the mother disappears and. Um, most people think that, the, that Cass, the mother, has died and only Laura really knows what's happened to her. And that, that secret that she kind of carries with her also from that moment really shapes the course of her life and her, her identity.
0: Mm-hmm. So you were talking about um, her decision whether or not to stay on at the farm Hmm. and I know that in the novel uh, Laura the main character she's troubled by the fact that the farmland she feels so connected to also belongs to another group of people the indigenous owners was that a difficult subject to tackle? It
1: was really difficult and um, yeah kind of problematic because I'm really interested in Indigenous issues and um, I think that there's a lot of work to be done in Australia around um, the relationship between settler and Indigenous communities and, and how especially settler people relate to the land that we have and, and owners, and all of those things I'm very sympathetic to and interested in. But I'm not Indigenous, I'm a settler person and so um, finding a way to write about those uh, write Indigenous characters I suppose and then also about the broader context of, of those relationships with the land. Um, it was really challenging and, and I guess one way of dealing with it, which is the way that I ended up kind of grappling with this problem of writing these things that I'm I'm not, you know, intimate with. I'm not intimate with what it's like to be indigenous. Um, But I did want to talk about those environmental issues and relationships to the land. So the way that I dealt with it was to kind of furnish Laura with a sense of ambivalence about it, probably ambivalence masking fear and anxiety. So she's, on some deep level, I think she's quite anxious about those um, Indigenous neighbours and characters in the story and and what their kind of true ownership means for her relationship with the land. Mm -hmm. But she kind of covers all of that up with just, Um, an unquestioning kind of stance about it so she doesn't think too deeply about it she brushes over it she does have one very close friend who's indigenous but she never really even interrogates their two different approaches that deeply and I think that's because underneath that friendship and the time they spend together there's this kind of um, well of anxiety about Yeah, what her relationship might mean to the land, if indeed it does belong to someone else, how can that be? Mm. So there is this kind of feeling of unsettledness, which I think is true of Australian culture pretty generally. Um, We we do have a little bit of anxiety about what we're doing here and whose place it really is, Mm. um, at least in terms of settler Australians. Mm. So it was difficult to grapple with, but I I found a way to do so, I think. (laughs)
0: Did you get any feedback on um, how you'd handled that topic?
1: Well, because the novel was um, constructed or the early stages of the novel writing were done within the context of a PhD program in creative writing, Mm -hmm. so that's how I came to write the novel. My research for that purpose for the PhD was about... um, What So my kind of question or my research was around the idea of what relationships do settler Australians have with Australian land and how might this impact how we deal with climate change? Mm -hmm. And so, of course, the issues of indigeneity and indigenous land ownership and management and all of these things came into play there. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so I was approaching that research question or that area of interest two ways, by writing about it academically by writing about it creatively. And because I began the novel in that circumstance with that question and I had a couple of supervisors who were really wonderful in helping me guide that research and that writing, um, I did get lots of feedback along the way. And it was interesting, and and this kind of speaks to the problem of writing about this stuff, that the early drafts were criticised very early on because the indigenous characters I was told were too beatific, so they were too saintly, mm. and there's this idea you know indigenous people are real people too, they have flaws, they can't just be all good guys, you know mm. so so then you're bringing an element of complexity to those characters but but you also then feel anxious that you're making them um i guess too black and white um <laughs> no pun intended (laughs) you know to find that middle ground to to draw them as whole complex people it is really Mm. challenging but it's having somebody just have as a sounding board to help Mm. with that process is really valuable
0: yeah so I read that you worked on the manuscript for seven years was that a was it difficult to sustain interest in one project for so long
1: well, part of the reason for the longevity was to do with the PhD, which complicated things and made the project a lot bigger than it might otherwise have been. Um, and I didn't necessarily find it... I guess that over those seven years, there's so many parts to that process. You know, there was very early draft where you're just trying to work out what you're doing. Mm. Um, the middle part of the kind of process where you, you've got an understanding of the characters and the plots. Um, but you're still finding your way through and then there's all this finessing and then it was picked up by a publisher and there was a whole other workload in bringing it up to the kind of standard or incorporating the ideas that they had to make it publishable. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were definitely times when I was sick of it and I wished that, you know, fervently that I was doing anything else (laughs) and I because it's a lot of work, you know, and it's a long-term thing, but I think that desire wasn't lack of interest. In the project, it was just wishing that it was over, and mm. and you know, desiring a shorter project that you could feel that satisfaction of completion, mm. which is really held off when you're writing a novel for years and years.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, so it was better no, and surprisingly to me, because I thought, oh, this for so many years, you know, how, once it's done, I'll never want to look at this topic again. I'm just at the very, very early stages of writing something new, and and. It, you know, dealing with similar issues in some ways, yeah. at least at this stage. So I guess I'll go on being interested in it.
0: Mm. So you mentioned that editing process once you had a publisher. Can you tell us a bit about your experience with publishing Anchor Point?
1: Mm. Well, I've been really lucky, you know. It's a really kind of People try to keep your expectations really low when you're a writer. So they say, um, oh, that's lovely that you want to do writing, but you know, you'll know you never make any money. And that, that has proven to be the case <laughs> for me. <laughs> but they say, you know, you'll never get published. Um, and if you do get published, no one will read the book. And even if they read the book, nobody will review it. And none of those things have proven to be the case for me. But I know that I'm very lucky. It feels like winning the lottery. So what happened to me was that I finished the PhD. I was extremely pregnant, about to have my first child. And I I was pretty sick of it by that stage. And I was just ready to kind of fall into motherhood. And I thought maybe that's what I would do from now on. And I'd just, you know, leave the writing thing behind me. It was too hard.
2: Mm.
1: But a friend, a writer, friend in pirate said, no, it's fantastic. You should just send it out. Just keep sending it out. Um, so I thought, oh, she kind of shamed me and made me feel guilty. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought, okay, I'll send it out one more time. And I sent it to a fan press who are my publisher now. Mm -hmm. Um, it just went into the slush pile, but I just happened to, you know, and this is where luck comes in and timing that it happened to be just before Christmas and the slush pile was cleared out by, um, by one of the main publishers there. Uh, and he happened to pick mine up in a pile of unpublished manuscripts and take them on holiday and read them, you know, over the summer, over the Christmas period. Mm-hmm. And he he read mine and liked it, and that's how it came to be published. It felt like such a rare opportunity. It really did feel like winning the lottery. And apparently, it's the only one they've published from the slush pile. Oh so, wow! Yeah. So the, <laughs> you know, the odds of that happening seem so incredibly low um, that I'm very very lucky.
0: Now, whenever it's Christmas time, I'm going to be thinking about the Christmas slush pile. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Maybe that's a good approach. I don't know. <laughs> I think he was just trying to do a favor to, you know, the interns that normally have to read uh, them. And the, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was his yeah. Christmas gift to them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's been really lovely, but complicated um, in some ways by the fact that when, by the time he called me, the, my baby was about six weeks old, uh, and so the work of, you know, fixing the novel up and doing that, those last drafts and all of that was really intertwined for me with uh, the experience of early parenthood. And that's gone on... The, the novel was finally published uh, just around the time that I had the second baby. So mm-hmm. for me, those, that experience of being a writer, a published writer, and having these little children to look after... Um, has been really intertwined and that's been very challenging in some ways
0: mm, because you can't really just lock them in a cupboard and say "Mummy has to go polish her draft now
1: that's right wouldn't it be great if they had a little off switch and you could just turn them off for a few hours but unfortunately not
0: mm. no unfortunately they're not like tamaguchi although i can't yeah. remember whether tamaguchi did have an off switch probably not <laughs>
1: Um, The interesting thing about that, though, and why it's sort of relevant to talk about in the context of Anchor Point is because the novel, on a level, is interested in climate change and environmental decay. It's been an interesting experience to be working in that field on those issues and also the parent of very small children who will potentially grow up to live in the future that I'm predicting or I'm interested in exploring. Mm. Uh, you're living in this weird space of kind of hope and hopelessness all the time, and and I guess that's kind of contributed to the the way that I'm writing.
0: Mm-hmm. Next up is a song by Lyra Lynn called Refrain. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to art Zone, Subject to ACT's weekly art programme on two double ninety eight point three. As Real Beast talks to Alice Robinson about her writing and the noted festival. Is creative writing something that can be taught? It's a really interesting question and I know that it's a
1: favorite topic of many writers and and people who want to write and be creative. And I think um, it's something that I've also given a lot of thought About a lot of thought to and and experienced a lot because I am a lecturer in creative writing. I teach creative writing, a job that I really love. I think that it can. I really think that it can. I I think that there's a lot of skills that can improve writing. um, You know, different craft aspects can really be illuminated and that can really change someone, the way that someone's working. Mm. But I think the thing that can't really be taught because it comes from within is uh, discipline so I think you know we, we talk a lot about the muse and creativity and being creative but, but I think all of that can be learned what I don't think can be learned is is that drive that willingness to sit at the desk day in day out mm. um, to go up against rejection and and you know fear that nothing's ever going to come of the work
0: mm.
1: um, so yeah. yeah that's my stance on that
0: I guess you can't teach someone to love something can you?
1: That's right. Yeah. So they really have to want to do it. I have taught many brilliant writing students so I've been really excited by it and thought, Wow, this is beautiful writing But almost invariably or often those are the students who don't who don't always come to class, who don't turn in the work on time, um, who aren't making the most of their perhaps natural gifts mm. and you'll have other students who are working a lot harder who who might not have that natural affinity but I feel that they're probably going to be more successful because eventually they'll get there because they're willing to do the hard work. Mm. So I really admire
0: that. So there has to be that combination of of love of the craft and discipline in applying it.
1: Absolutely. And I tell my students all the time, you know, the books that get published are the books that get written. So you have Mm. to actually write the thing. You know, you can have the best idea in the world, but unless you're willing to really sit there perhaps for seven years or ten years or however long it takes. Um, you know, nothing will come of it. And that's a scary proposition really. It's not it's daunting. It's not an easy thing. But, mm. you know, that's a way of um that's why some people uh, find success and others who are equally brilliant and, and beautiful writers don't because I think they they just, you know, they fall off the perch
0: a bit in terms of their discipline. Mm. Do you think it might have something to do with self-doubt? So, I mean, if someone had said said to you, oh, you're going to spend seven years writing this book, (laughs) you might have felt self-doubt. So do you offer any advice on tackling self-doubt as a writer? Oh, it's a
1: really, another really good question. I'm not sure about advice. I, I will say that, I experience it almost daily, and in fact, I feel kind of an immense dread when I consider the prospect of having to write.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I feel very similarly about writing as I do about the prospect of, like, going for a ten k run or something. You know, like if oh no, I'd, you know, almost rather do anything else mm-hmm. because because you're confronting that fear all the time. You know, you just good. You know, am, am I doing this right? Is there anything going to come of it? Am I wasting my time? Mm. Um, all of those questions are, are you know, sitting with me all the time. But then after I've done the writing, if I can actually make myself sit there, I feel amazing. And I think exercise is the same way. You feel this triumphant sense of having done something hard and, and achieved, achieved some outcome, even if it's not perfect. You, you've mm. stumped up. I feel brave when I do it. Mm-hmm. And that's really wonderful. So I think the work is a kind of antidote to self-doubt. Just mm. Having done that is enough. The quality, when you're in that first draft and all of that, it doesn't matter as much. But, uh, yeah, I think self-doubt's really normal and just a difficult condition of the job.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. I guess when you put aside the sort of perfectionist fears and whatnot, you probably enjoy the the process once you're actually doing it.
1: Yeah, and I think it's exponential. So I think the further on into a project you get, probably the more you enjoy it. The early stages are quite scary when you're not sure where you're going and it's all like you're shining a little tiny torch into a great dark,
2: Mm. you know,
1: crevasse. Um, But, uh, you know, as you go further and further into the crevasse, you know, it's illuminated a little bit more and a little bit more. And then right at the end of that process, you know, when I was close, the end with the Anchor Point, you've got this whole thing, you've, this whole world you've laid down, it's very um, alight, you can see all of the dark corners and all of that, but at the beginning, it's, you're just fumbling around in the dark,
2: mm. not sure
1: what you're doing, and that is really scary. The only way that I can kind of deal with that is that in that process of writing, especially something long, long like a novel, is just to feel, well, there's always time to fix it up. So it's better just to put something down, you know, and not worry too much about whether it's good or bad or the quality because I can always come back later and fix it
0: up mm, The joy seven of, years later. The joy <laughs> yeah. of editing or redrafting, yeah. Yeah, that's
1: right.
0: So you'll be uh, speaking at the Noted Festival in Canberra. What, yeah. what are you looking forward to about that festival?
1: Um, I'm looking forward to so many aspects, including being in Canberra. I think Canberra's a really interesting and um, wonderful city. I really love it. I think it gets a bad rap, perhaps, in the rest of Australia. Um, I don't know if you have that impression living there, but um, I think it's a great place, and it's a really good place to ride your bike too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to coming up. I think it's great for there to be more kind of independent or... Um, Less kind of mainstream writers' festivals too You know, there's lots of big ones Like Melbourne Writers' Festival Sydney Writers' Festival Um, But it's wonderful to have festivals That are showcasing other kinds of voices And other kinds of writing
2: Mm.
1: I think that's really important for our culture Especially in terms of what's going on With um, funding to the art Where that funding's going um, Less and less to individual practitioners There's so little money Mm. Um, and, and little government support really. So I think it's great that um, that as practitioners and people that love reading and writing where groups are forming to put on events like n- Noted that are showcasing and privileging and championing um, all this other kind of writing, inter- mm. you know, all this interesting work. That um, people that
0: might not otherwise hear about.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And saying this is important, this is worth talking about in public and and sharing. So I was at the National Young Writers Festival. I think it was earlier this year, or late last year. I can't actually. My sense of time has started to warp a bit since I've um, had these little children. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're up a lot, so it feels like you, yeah, your your sense of time slips a bit. Um, and it was so wonderful to hear from all of these young writers who are doing really fantastic stuff but wouldn't um, ordinarily get a platform at one of those bigger festivals. Mm. It was really exciting, and I'm hoping to have the same experience at Noted.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. So you'll be presenting a workshop called Why Is the Character Like That? No, yeah. Like This. Yeah. Um, and that'll be on Saturday, March the 19th at one mm-hmm. thirty at the Gorman Arts Centre. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about what that workshop will be about?
1: Yeah, so I've been toying with this idea for a little while um, off the back of my own writing and also having to teach writing. Um, and so when noted called for pictures, I thought, I wonder if they'll be interested in this idea, basically, Uh, So the way that creative writing is normally taught in universities, for example, and and in short courses as well, is to go through a series of aspects of fiction, so character, dialogue, um, narrative voice, setting, etc. And usually you would do one per week or one per short course. Um, And I have, oh, that's one approach, that's a kind of craft-based approach. Or you would do a more literary theory approach where you're looking at examples of short fiction or novels and talking about the themes and the character development and all of these things. Uh, The longer I've been teaching creative writing and writing fiction myself, the more convinced I've become that... But really writing fiction, to write good fiction, you need to kind of answer this one question, which is why is the character like this? And so I'm going to be talking for two hours and giving exercises to lead the people who come to the workshop through this question in terms of the characters that we all recognise and in terms of the characters that they might want to create as well. What I mean by that is that basically a story starts and ends somewhere and what happens between those two points um is the kind of plot of the story. But none of that makes sense because plot is character-driven. Plot is really just about um, characters making decisions and going here and there and things happening to them and them responding. But none of that really makes sense unless we have what is traditionally called a backstory. But what I'm interested in is character development. What has happened to this person Mm. that has made them into the person that they are when the story starts? We need that vital information in order for everything that comes next to make sense. Mm. So that's what I'm going to be talking about in that workshop, and um, hopefully the people that come will be able to go away and create some really compelling plots and characters as a result.
0: Sounds really interesting. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for talking to us today, Alice.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely.
0: Hello. You've been listening to Art Zone, subject ACT's weekly art program on Two Double ninety eight point three. As Real Beast talks to Alice Robinson about her writing and the Noted Festival. Do get along if you can to Alice's workshop. Why is the character like this? On Saturday, March the nineteenth, at one thirty at the Gorman Art Centre. Next week, on Thursday at eight thirty a.m. in Art Zone. I'll be talking to another noted festival artist, Sam Vincent. Sam will talk about Blood and Guts, his work of narrative non fiction about whaling in Antarctica.